So good to see you today. What a great, it's always a great day when we get to see baptisms happen and those types of things. What a beautiful, beautiful time. Uh, we, uh, we always try to change things up around here a little bit. So we read the scripture a little differently today in a different time. <clears throat> and uh, one of the reasons I did that is because, uh, you know, there's a lot of big names in that passage. And I didn't know if who would like to do that or anything like that. But next week, we're going to read Matthew chapter one, the genealogy, and I'm just going to pick somebody out to come read. So <laughs> you may want to get ready. I'm kidding. We won't do that. Uh, man, uh, we're wrapping up real quickly here our, the book of Colossians. We've been studying that now all, uh, all fall. I think we started back in August, and we've been walking through it. And it has been, in, it, it's been a blessing and a joy to my life. And so I am so thankful for what the Lord has been doing and what he's been showing just me and my family personally. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a little bit of a sadness today as we begin to close out today. Uh, I'm going to be, we've read to the end of the chapter, I'm going to be focusing today on verses 2 through 6. So two through six. If you've got a pen, a piece of paper, you grab it. Uh, I was reading this week uh, an article that I think uh, I, I wanted to kind of bring to you. It's out of a magazine called Scientific American, Scientific American. Uh, the article was written in July of 21, okay, in July of 21. So it's really, uh, in, in the world of magazines, it may be a little dated, but in the world of scientific America and in the scientific world, it's not too dated. And I want to I want to read to you a portion of it because what it's talking about here is about the mental health and and uh, of Americans, and it kind of does a little contrast. And I want to read just a little passage out of it for you. And I want you to hear. Listen to this. It says in the past year. So remember that was July of twenty one. Remember you remember what twenty twenty was like, right? We're still. We're still kind of recovering from that. He said, in the, it says, in the past year, American mental health sank to the lowest point in history. Incidents of mental disorders increased by 50%, 50%. Compared with before the pandemic, alcohol and other substances abuse surged. Young adults were more than twice as likely to seriously consider suicide than they were in 2018 prior to that. Yet, I want you to catch this, yet the only group to see improvements, I want you to catch this, the only group to see improvements in their mental health during the past year were those who attended religious services at least weekly. Those who attended religious services at, at least weekly. Now, folks, what I want you to catch here is this. What, the point of that article and the point of this study, and the reason I bring this up, isn't to say that Christians don't have issues with mental health situations and uh, depression and those types of things, because we do. We do struggle with those types of things. We do have uh, times where we are in, uh, in, in poor mental health. But what I want you to begin to see is this, is it says that over and against those who don't follow Christ, those who aren't a part of the faith, that we overall, generally, we are better off. Now, better off doesn't mean better than. I want to make sure that you hear me. Better off doesn't mean better than. We are, we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. He extended mercy to us. 
But I think what I want you to begin to catch is this, is as we've been walking through the book of Colossians and we've been diving into, as we've talked about, all the deep things of the Lord, that he turns and he begins to help us to begin to see how how do we live out these things that he's been teaching. And he's gotten very practical in chapter three and four. And we're going to see how practical it is because what he's doing here is he's letting us to see that the theology he's been talking about isn't just deep tidbits. It's not just trivia. It's not just so that we can impress people. It's so that we have lives that can live in an overcoming way. It's so that we can have uh, happy marriages, so that we can have uh, a, a better outlook, so that we can live as whole people, followers of Christ in the world in which we are in. Uh, and though that was a study that looked back, uh, you know, a little over two years now, uh, it got me to kind of looking and walking through. And, and I want you to hear a couple of other things that I discovered as I was walking through and doing some study on this stuff. Uh, uh, recent studies show that Christians are the most generous people in the world. People who submitted their lives to Christ are the most generous. We give more money per capita than those who don't know Christ. Script, uh, or or the, the, the studies have shown that we have better marriages. Some of you are going, he didn't ask me about that. <laughs> Listen, this is talking about generally. Generally, we have better marriages, more healthy marriages. The NIH, National Institutes of Health, did a, a study recently that said that Christians cope with tragedy better than unbelievers do. They cope with tragedy better than unbelievers do. The The Pew Research Council has come out with a a study recently that says generally Christians are more hopeful about their lives than non-believers because we know and understand and we trust and we submit our lives to Christ and his principles and his word. Now, I want to say this. In our world today, and and I want to you don't have anything as if, if you're a follower of Christ and you're trying to live this out, you have nothing to be embarrassed about in following his word. When, when it comes to the biblical ethic, biblical morality, biblical principles, you, you, you don't have anything to be embarrassed about because data, hard data says that as followers of Christ, listen, we're handling the world in a much more healthy and better way. And so, folks, I want to tell you, live out your faith. You've sat in your offices before or at school or you've sat with friends and you've listened to them talk about how they cope with things and you thought, that's whacked. (laughs) I need you to hear this, folks. You bring the truth of the scripture and your fellowship of Jesus Christ to that conversation because even if they think it's outdated, it's out of touch, you really believe that. Listen, we're thinking the same thing. And I just believe that the scripture, the Holy Spirit is strong enough that when we bring the truth of the scripture and our lives to bear, he's going to use that. We don't have anything to be ashamed of when we begin to apply and live and walk out the truth of the scripture. And so this is what Paul is saying as he's running down. He's about to close this out. We're going to be closing this out. And he's wanting us to see this really matters. What we do, how we live, practically the theology that we say we believe, it matters. We, we, we should be living this out. 
To say that we believe something and not to live it out is hypocrisy. And he's calling us not to live those types of, of, of lives. Last week, we looked at uh, what it looks like to have holy homes, followers of Christ, living in our houses, how we live and how we relate to one another. We talked about what it looks like to have worshipful work, that we no longer work for the man, we work for the Lord. We, we talked about how we don't need to be trying to fix our spouses. We need to say, God, fix me. Do something in me. Live, I want to live out your word, your truth. And so this is what he's called us to. And today we're going to see, we're going to talk about two things. I got two brief principles that I want you to see from this. If you got a piece of pen, paper, I want you to write them down. The first one is this. The title of the message is, is pray, uh, pray and Proclaim. The point that the two points that I want you to see is that as followers of Christ, we need to be persistent in our prayer. We need to be persistent in our prayer, and we need to be passionate in our proclamation. Passionate in our proclamation. We live lives that are differently. We work differently, not so that people will say, hey, look at me, but they would say, hey, there's something different about you, and we point them to our God. That's why we do that. And what we're going to see today, Paul's going to continue to walk that out for us in a very, very practical way. So the very first point that I want to talk about is persistent prayer. Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 says this, Paul's writing and he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, I, I I've been around long enough. I've been a pastor long enough. I've talked with people long enough to know that prayer does not come easy for most people. I, I think if most of us were honest in here, we would say, yeah, my prayer life needs improving. I, I, I struggle. And so uh, here's the thing I want you to catch. Paul, when he's writing, he doesn't condemn us. He encourages us. How does he encourage us? He encourages us to continue steadfastly. You may be right now feeling an ounce of guilt, or maybe you're going, no, I feel like 32 ounces of guilt. I mean, I'm like, this is heavy on me. Well, I need you to hear this. Listen, we've all walked together in this. We all seek to, or we all struggle in this, and we all want to get better at this. But I need you to hear me. We're not going to get better just because someone preaches a message on it or points it out. We have to, we get better by the way we begin to practice these things. And this is where we need to kind of begin to look today. I'm not talking about praying every other day. I'm not talking about you hear a message today and you're going to go out much like I do and have before. And for the next couple of days, you're going to like, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm setting my alarm for 3.30. I'm getting up. I'm going for two hours. <laughs> you do that for a day or so and you, it's off. See, that's not what we're talking about. I, you see, prayer is something that for you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, it should be like oxygen. You don't go like oxygenate for like two hours and then go for the next week. No, you, it's, you don't even think about it. That's what Paul is wanting us to see is that our prayer life is as if we're breathing that we're that dependent on it. We're, we're talking to the Father continuously and steadfastly. Did you realize that it would be very 
possible. Now, I want you to catch this. It would be very possible for me to get up here and preach a message, for Zion and this team to get up here and play music, lead us in singing. They're, great. They're really good musicians. It would be very possible for, you, for someone to be down in the kids' hall, kind of going through the motions. It'd be a great, great kids thing, but we do all of those things without prayer. Do you know the problem with that? The problem is, is that it may all look good, but it's powerless. It's powerless. Our power as a body of believers, our power as leaders is only through prayer. But I need you to hear this. Your power to accomplish being a good lawyer, a good doctor, a good teacher, a good mom, a good dad is all dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we seek to do all that we want to do in our own power, it's a failure. It's a failure. You may go, well, we've accomplished so much, but we're not trying to accomplish. We're trying to live for the Father, to walk and live and, and do as he's called us to. So he's called us to be people who are steadfast in our prayer life. Pastor Leonard Ravenhill has said this, no man is greater than his prayer life. And I would add to that, no woman, no student, no child is greater than their prayer life. Now, I want to open this up for a little bit here, okay? When I'm talking about praying steadfastly, I'm not talking about just in the morning. And my hope is, is that in the mornings or in the evenings, you, you, you have a time where you read the word and you begin to pray and you say amen. And when you say amen, it's like you hung up the phone. You know, amen is truth. Let it be. It, it's not, I'm finished. And you continue on throughout the day. As you're driving down 24, as you're going down broad, as you're running down, uh, as you're walking down the street, and the Lord begins to recall your memory of someone. You know what that's an opportunity for? You remember them. You pray for them. You pray for them. Listen, especially if it's somebody that you don't normally think about, he brings to mind someone uh, I'm telling you, our lives are not lived out in a vacuum. He's, I, I'm just crazy enough to think that he's brought them to mind because he wants you to pray for them, even though you don't know. Father, I have no idea what's going on in Daniel's life, but I'm asking you, would you please move? Would you do something in his life? Father, Luke has got this major thing. I, I, I'm assuming something's happening. You've brought him to mind. Lord, would you work in his family right now? You see, you continue on. When you see someone in the hallway, you, you, you realize Jesus said that his house will be a house of prayer for all nations. You, when we come and gather here as a body of believers, do you know what? There are people in this room right now who are hurting. There are people online who are worshiping with us. They are hurting. And do you know what we get to do? We get to walk alongside and just, hey, when they express something, can I pray for you right now? And you stop and you pray for them in that moment. You just pray for them. That's continuing steadfastly, not, close, not hanging up, not being done. As you're running down the road, you're, you're, you're remembering things. Father, I'm, I'm asking, would you do something in my life? I don't know what that something is in your life. You do. 
but he's brought it to mind so that we can continue to pray. He desires to hear from you. You realize that prayer is communication. It's discussion. It's talking. You know, when I roll up, anybody ever have trouble sleeping? Anybody ever in here? Everybody yeah, got trouble sleep? Yeah. When you have trouble to sleep, the first thing you do, don't count sheep. Start talking to the Lord. Literally, start talking to the Lord. Father, would you let me go to sleep? I don't know what's going on, but I need a couple more. You've told me in Psalm 127, you give sleep to your beloved. Father, will you let me have sleep? I've had people say, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to fall asleep talking to him. Listen, can you think of a better way to fall asleep than in the arms of your heavenly father? You talk to him. You continually come to him. You pray with him. We do this with one another. He says, continually and steadfastly. Look what he says also in verse 2. He, after that comma, he says, be watchful. Be watchful. Do, do you realize how easy it is? I bet we could go up and down the rows. We're not going to do that. And, we, and you could tell me about different points of time where you have found yourself in the middle. You, you stepped in a whole big pile of temptation. You, you didn't see it. You didn't see it coming. And the reason you didn't see it coming is because we weren't being watchful. We weren't as we we're going about our day. Father, protect me. Men, you know. Men, men, you know what it is that the enemy is, wanna, is wanting to throw at you. And you may even know the places you don't need to go and the things you need to be a part of. You may already know those. You know what the difficulty is, though, is when he brings it out of left field. You weren't looking for it, but the enemy was looking for you. And he says, be watchful. Keep your, I mean, let's do the football. Keep your head on a swivel. You're looking around. You're trying to make sure because the enemy is like a roaring lion. He's coming to devour you. Father, help me to know when the enemy is coming after me. Help me to be watchful. I don't want to fall into temptation. Ladies, your battlefield so often I've heard, I've, I've counseled enough families. My wife has counseled. Your battlefield oftentimes is in the mind. It's in the mind and in the emotions. What are they thinking he doesn't, she doesn't, I don't measure up, you, the security aspect. And you know, the enemy knows that. And it's, Father, I, I need you to protect me. I set a guard about my mind. I want to be watchful in this. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 26, when they, it, while they were in the garden, they were going to uh, pray. And he says, be watchful. Be watchful, lest you fall into temptation. Folks, he has called us to pray continually. Be steadfast. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family. And, and be watchful. Be on the lookout. Be like the watchman on a tower. I'm looking for where temptation is coming. I'm looking for disaster. Father, give me the ability to know these things so that I can be on guard against them. Notice the last thing he says there, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. I wish that we were smart enough to have planned for this passage to be preached on the Sunday prior to Thanksgiving. Man, I wish we could have done that, but we're not. The Holy Spirit has aligned this. And today he is calling you and me to be people of gratitude 
to be thankful. In this room right now, there are people in this room who are struggling with certain situations, and they're drastic. They're probably big. There are probably medical issues. There's probably family issues. Uh, there's probably people online right now who are taking part, who are wondering, how, oh, how am I going to do this? My world is in a disaster right now. I, I want to tell you, in the midst of the disaster you feel like you're sitting in, you can take confidence that the Lord has put you there. He knows where you are. It's not by accident. It's not by, it's not by chance. And in the midst of that, did you realize we can always be thankful? The scripture tells us that we know that all things work together for good. Not, they're not good, but those things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes, for your good, for his glory. Father, I don't know what you're doing, but I want you to know I'm thankful for this difficult season. I don't understand. Father, you've given me life. You've given me health. You've given me a children. You've given me air to breathe. Uh, you realize, I'm, I'm going to look around here. Most of you probably have a place you're going to lay your head tonight. Do you realize there are people who don't have a place to lay their head tonight? You've got a meal. Folks, there, when we begin to ask the Father, I want to be watchful. I want to be a person of thanksgiving. I want to have a life of gratitude. Did you realize that being thankful is a weapon that we can use against the enemy? It points us Godward. How do I know that? Because it's in his word, and this is what he's called us to do. So when we are people of gratitude, when we are people who are grateful, even in the midst of some very difficult situations, did you realize that you're doing battle with the enemy? And the Father is glorified. He is honored by that. When's the last time? When's the last time that you in your relationship network, home, work, church, I don't, you, you went up to somebody and said, hey, I, I'm so thankful for you and here's why I'm thankful. I'm gonna tell you something. When one of you do that to me, I like grow six inches, taller, not wider, taller. <laughs> I mean, it makes me feel like, yeah, yes. Everyone you come in contact with today, I need you to know this. They are under-encouraged. Everyone you come in contact with today. And we need to be telling the people that are the closest to us, I am so thankful for you. Let me tell you what you've done. Let me tell you how you have blessed my life. I, uh, listen, when we're in the middle of our situation and we turn to a heart of gratitude and we begin to praise him and we begin to tell how thankful we are, I need you to know the enemy runs. It doesn't get us out of our situation necessarily, but it sure does change a whole lot of things. And this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, hey, listen, I want you to continue in prayer steadfastly. You hang in there. Don't shut it down. You continue praying. You keep it an open dialogue in everything. You pray all the time. Make it the air you breathe and you be watchful. Look around because the enemy's wanting to destroy you. He, ask the Father to make you watchful so you know where it is that you're about to stumble out. And while you're doing that, he says, while you're in it, while you're in it, you be thankful. I'm going to ask you a question that I've had to ask myself. What keeps us from doing this? What, what keeps us from doing this? 
We can't say we don't have time. We can't say we have, don't have time. I think it was John Piper who wrote that one of the good things that Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram are going to do to us is that they will stand in judgment of all the time we wasted on them when we could have been praying. That's not to be heap guilt. You need to hear me. If you're, if you're feeling that right now, I need you to hear me. This is a call to come home. It's therefore there is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation. You hear me say that each week. But we also, we got to take stock and be people who love him, who continue to speak to him, who, who reach out to him, who do this with a heart of thanksgiving, that we're watchful people. We've got to take stock of who we are and what it is that he's called us to do and be. Man, I want to speak to you for just a moment. Man, I, I, I need you. This church needs you. If I don't care if you're uh, a married man or a single man. This church needs you to be a man of prayer. We need that. Men, I, I want to call you. I want to challenge you. I want to ask you, would you be willing to pray for your spouse? I mean, like pray for them. I, I want to ask you, would you be willing to let them hear you pray for them? Because there is nothing that will mean more to your spouse, your wife, than to hear you praying for her. Men, let me tell you, I'm where you are. My wife and I, uh, we have, we've been married 31 years. <laughs> I'm making sure about that. It was, it was computing there. We've been married 31 years, and we have always had a, a time alone where we've read the scripture. We've always had prayer lives We've always, when we got children, we would go and we would pray for our children. We, we would do that. But you know what we didn't do? We didn't pray together. It's probably, and I've got two folks in here who have waved that flag for the last 30 years and my, they, they've just, this, they've do this. And I need you to hear me. It's probably been in the last 15 years that we've just carved a time and said, we're gonna pray with one another. You realize we didn't, we've got a good marriage. We didn't have huge rocks and stones that we had to dig out. And we're a normal marriage, we argue. But can I tell you where our, where our, what happened when I began to hear her pray for me? What happened when I began to pray for her? The way the Lord began to knit us together even more closely. Men, your children are not going to learn how to pray unless they see you and hear you do it. That's what they need to hear. That's what they need to see. Wives, wives, in this room, I need you praying. You know, the Christian history is, I mean, it's full of great leaders who go back and say, I am where I am today because of a praying mother who interceded on my behalf. They prayed for me. I'm I'm the man that I am today, partly because of my single mom. I didn't grow up in a home with a dad who prayed for me every day, every day. Ladies, if you're married and your husband is not leading spiritually, do not start pounding him with this. You pray for him that he will start to lead. Proverbs talks about the, the nagging wife, the dripping wife, the quarrelsome wife. You just pray for him. 
Because I can promise you this, the Holy Spirit is much stronger than your nagging, your dripping. As wonderful as you want that to happen, you pray for him. Pray for your children. Let them hear that. Let them hear you pray for them. If you're a single adult in here or a single parent, stay in the fight. You pray for your children. You, if you are a single adult and you're not married, you have a desire. That is a good desire. Here's, I, I was once single and I wanted a spouse. What I found myself doing is being more concerned about my singleness and what I was missing than being single-minded for the things of the Lord. And when I became single-minded for the things of the Lord, you know what? He began to bring the goodness of the Lord to me. You, you chase the Father. Chase the Father. Students in here, got a whole group of students right here. Ah, yeah, heads. I see them. Thank you. I've got some over here. I, you guys need to be prayer warriors. You step into the lion's den each and every day. The world is attacking, and the only way that we find power and strength to stand strong is by praying. He's called us to steadfastly pray. Stay strong. Be watchful. Pray. Did you notice what Paul said here in verse 3? He says, at the same time, you pray for us also. You, you pray for us also. I, I, I'm going to take a selfish moment here and tell you, I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. Uh, man, uh, our staff, Austin, Howard, Mary, Heath, myself, Zion, Rob, we need you to pray for us. Just the battles, the things that go on. Please, we need you to pray. Did you notice that that's what Paul said? Paul said, hey, you pray for him. Pray, pray. You're going, boy, Kyle, you're spending a lot of time on here. You know why? Because the only thing that we have power, the only, the only power we have is in our prayer. And it's not because we're praying, it's because the Lord, we're, we're going to the Father. And we're, when we go to the Father, when we get on our knees, when we bow our heads, when we close our eyes, when you drive down the road with your eyes wide open and you're praying, do you realize that the Lord hears that, and he begins to move because he wants to hear his children speak to him. He desires that. So this is what he's called us to. This is what he's called us to. But I want you to notice what Paul asked for, and this goes to point two, and we start running downhill here, okay? This is what he, the second point is, Paul asked, or, or the second point is passionate proclamation. And Paul, notice what Paul asked for in verse three on. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, do you remember where Paul is when he wrote this? Paul was in prison. He closes this whole book out, this chapter, by saying this. He says, remember my chains. So Paul is in prison. 
Did you catch what he's asking for? Paul asked that they would pray for him on his behalf that an open door would be happen. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in prison, I think my first one would be, get me out of here, God. Release me, get the right person. You know, one of my greatest fears is being put in jail uh, and I didn't do anything. Why is that my greatest fear? Because I'm not going to do something to get myself in jail, (laughs) but to being wrongly accused, being in jail. Do you know why why he was in jail? For preaching the gospel. Uh, John MacArthur, I think it is, uh, he, he said when Paul went into town, he didn't ask what the hotel looked like. He asked, what does the jail look like? Because that's where he was going to probably end up. Because that's, he knew he was going in, he was going to preach the gospel, and he said, hey, listen, I don't care what, I'm not asking you to get the cell door open, I'm asking you to get the gospel door open. That's what I desire. Whether I am in jail or I'm out of jail, I pray that an open door for his name, for his gospel would go forth. This is what Paul is asking prayer for. When is the last time that you prayed that God would give you an open door for the gospel? Maybe with a family member, maybe with a neighbor, maybe it's the person across the cubicle. You've been looking for ways to try to get Jesus into the conversation. How about this? Let's pray. Father, I need an open door. And that's a prayer the Lord's going to answer. The Lord's going to answer that. And this is what he's praying. He says, will you pray for an open door for the gospel? Did you realize that everywhere that Paul went, he asked people to pray for that? In fact, later on, Paul finds himself in a Roman prison. And as you read about him being in a Roman prison, he talks about the household of Caesar and people in the guard surrounding him, the royal guard, had come to know Jesus Christ. Do you know why people had come to know Jesus Christ? Because there were people praying for him that an open door for the gospel would happen. Folks, we need you to pray for that so that the gospel would go forth up and down Warrior, up and down South Church, all throughout this this county. You know how that's going to happen? Paul didn't say, hey, pray for an incredible student ministry. Hey, pray that we get a larger building. Hey, pray that we have all this money come in. He said, you pray that the doors of the gospel would be thrown open, that people would know who Jesus is. And you know what happens after that? The rest of it just, it begins to happen. And folks, that's what we need. We need to pray, God, would you continue to save children? Next week, we're baptizing a student. We've got three adults that we're trying to, we're asking the Lord, Father, will you save them? I'm just telling you as us as a staff, are you, who are you praying, God, would you open the door for the gospel in this person's life so that they might know Jesus as Savior? See, this is what Paul asked them to pray for. Not get me out of jail. He said, pray for the gospel in this room right here, right now. There are people sitting in this room. And you've been prayed for that the gospel would open your heart. He says, pray that I might speak clearly. I'm from East Texas. I don't have a lot of big, fancy words. I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I butcher the king's English. You probably already said, your grammar's horrible. But what I want to do is I want to be really clear. Because that's what Paul said. Pray that we be clear. 
And you're here today because people have been praying for an open door for the gospel in your life. What is that gospel? That Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, he came to earth. He was sent to earth by his father at the right time that he might live a righteous life, a life that would pay the penalty of my sin, your sin. The scripture tells us that he came to his own people and his own people didn't even believe him. They crucified him. They put him in a grave, a borrowed grave. Three days later, he arose. It says for 40 days, he walked the earth and over 500 people saw him and touched him and knew it. 40 days later, or after that 40 days, he ascended to the right hand of God, the father, his father. He's there today, the Bible says, praying on our behalf. And today, that's why you're here. And I need you to know, we've already been praying for you that you would surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's our desire. This is our prayer. We're trying to live out what it is that God has called because we want an open door for the gospel for you today. Notice in verse five, he says, he makes kind of a turn. He makes a turn. He's been talking about praying and now he moves and he talks about walking in wisdom toward outsiders. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Do you realize that how you walk and live before others is your testimony about who you believe? This is why, this is why I always want to come back. I love studying the Bible. I love knowing the things of the word. But if all we're trying to do is to learn things about the word, but we're not taking what we learn about the word and living it out in a wise manner, it this is why I opened up with what I did about we don't have to be ashamed to follow after the word of God. We have nothing to be ashamed of. You see, we're bringing our real truth to the marketplace of crazy truth and saying, this is better. And I have our lives to show that. So we walk in wisdom. Do you realize that wisdom only comes as a gift of God? As you read his word, as you let it sink deeply in, and then you begin to live that out. He says, you walk in wisdom. You, 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 you walk in wisdom, you make the best use of your time. Ephesians chapter 5. Write this down. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 say this. Look carefully then how you walk. This is your life. How you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Folks, I, I, you know, do you remember the days when you thought Christmas would never get here? Some of you right now are going, yeah, I'm in it. Grandparents, do you remember the day when you brought home and held the one who made you a grandparent. Those days go by quick, don't they? The scripture tells us that life is a vapor. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Dust in the wind. And Paul says, you need to walk wisely. You need to make use, the best use of your time. What is that? 
It's praying continually and steadfastly. It's walking in wisdom. It's being watchful. It's being full of thanksgiving, having a life of gratitude. It's getting into his word and living faithfully those things out because the days are short. And he calls us to be wise. And I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you and say, again, folks, we as followers of Jesus who submitted our lives to him, we have nothing to be embarrassed about by walking out his objective truth that we have been planting in and living it out faithfully. Because when we do that, he takes care of everything else. As, and, and the only way that's going to happen is if we are persistently in prayer and then we become passionate in our proclamation. And you know, how, you know what opens that door? Your life lived out. Your life lived out. So that when someone does ask you, because they're going to, why are you so different? You have the wisdom to be able to say, oh, I've been watchful waiting for this. In fact, I've prayed that this would happen. Now then you can share about Jesus and how he's changed your life. 1820, there was a man named George Mueller. George Mueller, uh, he was born in 1820. By his own testimony, he says that for the first 20 years of his life, he was a hellion. He was invited, prayed for and invited to go to a church service. And as he gathered in that church service, the, the Lord opened his eyes. He was saved he responded in faith, and he began to walk out. I want to read you what he said about himself. Uh, from that day forward, he said his single goal in life was to live and lead a ministry that proves that God is real, that God is trustworthy, and that God answers prayer. George Mueller went on in that time, and um, the Lord gave him a heart for orphans. Now, you, you, you got to think back. During that day, there was no social safety net, and so orphans were treated, they were cast off. Uh, they were used as very cheap labor. They were abused. George Mueller, because the Lord had laid on his heart that he needed to step into that, he opened five different orphan homes in Bristol, England, all around. Five different homes. Uh, by, by conservative counts, his ministry alone, those homes, had over 10,000 orphans go through that in a 68-year ministry. 10,000. When his lineage of ministry was tracked back and the influence that he had, uh, history has written that over 100,000 orphans were cared for and ministered to and heard the gospel because of him walking, because of his persistent prayer life, and because of his pr passionate proclamation. Did you realize, uh, let me tell you a unique thing. In that 68-year ministry, he never once asked for one pound or dollar or money. Never once. You'd say, well, how did that happen? He would pray and ask the Lord. God, I, I have, we have a need. We have a need. He would give testimony around about what the Lord is doing and what would end up happening is money would just begin to come. For 68 years, he trusted the Lord. That's all he did. 
He prayed and he lived his faith out. After 68 years, he writes, the Lord has finally answered my prayer that I can be a missionary. <laughs> I, that, I thought that's what he was already doing. He spent the next 20 years uh, traveling the world, places where Jesus' name had never been proclaimed, and he shared. He moved back to England, and at the age of 92, I want you to hear this, at the age of 92, at the age of 92, he was still pastoring a church. He, his biography is, is that he led one last prayer meeting on a Sunday evening. He went home and the Lord called him home. This is what it looks like. Some of you are going, no, 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 I, 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 that's too much. I, that, I can't do the, 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 the George Mueller thing. I, I don't know that God's called me to that. Okay, let me ask you this. Will you pray for your children today? Will you pray for your wife, your husband? Students in here, will you, will you pray for your parents? Listen, when you become a, a person of persistent prayer, continually, steadfastly, with thanksgiving, you're watching out for temptation, you're walking in wisdom, the Lord takes care of all the rest. He handles all of those things. This is what he's called us to today. This is what he's asked of us. And I have to ask you, what, what keeps us from that? Husbands, moms, what would your home look like if you began to take these pieces and place them in? Praying for your kids, praying for your spouse, praying for your husband, praying for your wife. What would your home look like? Walking in wisdom, seasoning your conversation, always being gracious, seasoning with salt. What would it look like? Hey, uh, let me ask you this. What do you think our church, like our church would look like if we became men and women, husbands and fathers and moms and sisters and brothers, and we live this out? What might the Lord do in our body? Then let's do that. Father, I love you and I magnify you today. I am so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for Paul writing Colossians. Jesus, you are over everything. You're better than everything. The supremacy of your reign is greater than anything we could ever desire. Today, I'm asking, Holy Spirit, would you convict men and women would you give them courage? Would you open their eyes, open their heart, call them to life? And then would you give them the courage to step out? Today, just a moment, we're gonna, I'm gonna say amen and we're gonna stand up. I'm gonna be down front. If you want me to pray with you, you wanna use the altar. Maybe you'd say, man, I, I do want to talk to you about Christ, but I want to do that out in the foyer. I'll be out in the foyer in a few minutes. I'd love to talk with you. We can talk about what that looks like. I'm going to ask all of you to stand right now. You can keep your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Uh, Zion, in just a second, is going to lead us in a song, one song. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You don't have to do it, but I'm going to ask you to. If, if you feel led of the Lord, not led of Kyle, led of the Lord. If, you're, if, if you 
are here with your husband, your wife, your kids. I want to invite you. Would you just turn to them and begin to pray for them? Just to pray over them. Husbands, it may be uncomfortable, but I'm asking you, would you do that? Some of you in here, you're going, I'm single. I don't have anybody. Okay, then I want you to gather up. I want somebody, if, you're, if somebody's alone, then you gather up as a group and you pray together. Uh, student in this room, college student, young adult, high school student, middle school student, what would it be like if you go to your parents and you just begin to pray for them? Thank, I'm thankful for you, mom, dad. I'm thankful for you, honey. Let today be the beginning of something. Not just the end of a service, but the beginning of continual prayer. Steadfast prayer. Thankfulness. Gratitude. Here we are at the beginning of the week. Lord Jesus, we love you. And would you do the work that only you can do today by the power of your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Zion.